As you know, uh, the Creech family will be heading back to Senegal. So this is our last, our last Sunday with the Creech family before they go. Uh, the Creeches have been a part of this church for many, many years. Uh, and we are the, one of their sending churches. And they are members of our church. And so I'm excited for them to get back onto the field, to go back to Senegal and continue the, the church planting work that they have started and the process that they're in. Uh, and yet, as a friend of Mike's, as a brother, uh, I, I'm, I'm sad. We're, we're not going to see them for some time. And so Mike said, I would love to share a few words with the church. Could I do that? And I said, of course. So uh, Mike's going to share a few words before the sermon. All right. Good morning, church. Um, I just want to come up here and have the opportunity on behalf of my family to say thank you. Um, and I think, you know, perhaps this was a God-ordained moment with this song because I want to say thank you exactly because you have loved us well. Um, you have shown that very clearly. And we're going through this sermon series um, through First John and over and over again, you know, we're hearing that a test of a true disciple if you're following Jesus is that you're going to show the love of Christ. It's going to come up in your life. And it, I just want to say that we have seen that in the life of this church, specifically to us, and not just to us, because I look out and I see you guys loving one another. I know that you brought us food whenever our child was born, but you do that for one another. There's so many other things I look out and I see where you, you are taking care of each other's needs, and I know for us personally, and I, I told this story a few weeks ago whenever I got the opportunity to preach, but I think it's worth telling again, so I'm going to tell it again. Um, Whenever we were getting ready to come back here um, from Senegal, I was having a very hard time finding a place to stay for our family. And so someone from within the church volunteered, hey, I'll help you find a place to stay. And so some of my friends in Senegal knew that I was having a hard time. And so I went to them and I told them, hey, we found a place to stay. And a few of them said, that's great, Mike, but what are you going to sleep on? Do you have couches to sit on? What are you going to do for furniture? And I said, no, you don't understand. The church is, they're taking care of that too. There's, created a sign-up sheet, and there's people donating, bringing things for us to use while we're there. And like I shared a few weeks ago, one of my friends said, well, Michael, that's not what Americans are like. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, what we know about Americans is that, you know, they, they like their stuff way more than we do, and they're, they're not very generous with it sometimes, and, you know, they're not as hospitable as us here in Senegal. And I didn't challenge him on it, but I said, if you're following Jesus here in Senegal, then then what you're doing is going to look different than the culture around you, right? And he said, yeah. And I said, it's the same thing in America. And he said, thank you, Mike. I understand that better now. And so because you loved us well, 5,000 miles away, the life-changing power of the gospel is clarified. And so my exhortation to you this morning is to keep doing that. Not just to us. And like I said, you're, you're not doing it just to us. I look out and I see you loving each other well. And so my exhortation is to keep doing that, keep loving each other well, so that not just 5,000 miles away, but five minutes away and five miles away, people can understand the life transformation power of the gospel. And it's not because your humanitarian church just likes to give stuff away. Obviously, that's not the case. It's because of who we're following. It's because of Jesus Christ and the fulfillment and the hope that we have because of his death on the cross. So if I can just challenge you, church, keep doing that. You've been doing that well. So just thank you for how we've seen that in our lives through prayer and support and the, the things you've, you've provided for us in many different ways. So I just want to say thank you.
if you don't know the Creech family, this is your last opportunity in person to get to know them. So say hello, introduce yourself. The, the picnic is going to be in their honor. And I am hoping that we can get outside a little bit. Maybe kids can run around. Uh, it probably will be muddy by the pond, but my kids love to be by the pond looking for frogs and checking things out. Yeah, Levi's over there cheering and excited. Uh, so we'd love to enjoy this day, whether we're inside or outside, and, and celebrate what God is doing in the Creech family and send them off with a, with a little celebration. Uh, and now, if you would, let's pray for the Creech family with me. Oh, Lord, I thank you for this brother and for his wife and for their children. that You have rescued this man to use him for your purposes. Uh, as he's trusted you, as he's put in time and effort, as he's he's counted the cost, and he is committed to following Jesus, and, and we are convinced that part of his following Jesus is for him and his family to go to Senegal, to bring the gospel to an unreached people group, to move into a tribe where there is no gospel church, and bring the gospel to a people that are in darkness, that desperately need to hear the good news about Christ. I thank you, Father, for saving this man, this brother, I thank you for saving his wife, Stacy. I thank you for working in his children and their profession of faith. And I pray, Father, for their protection. They will suffer. They will endure hardship. There will be loss. And yet they know Christ is worth it. The gospel is worth it. That you have a people among the Bainuk people that you are going to rescue and redeem. And they, like us, will be trophies of your grace to display the worthiness of Christ. Jesus is worth this family picking up everything, leaving and going to a foreign land, learning multiple languages so that they can translate the scriptures and plant a church where there is no gospel church. Please, Father, in the midst of the, the suffering at times when there is loss, uh, remind them that, that Christ is worth it, the gospel is true, and they believe it. And you're the one that has sent them. It is a privilege to call the Creech family our missionaries. It is an honor to send them out. May we continue to love this family well, to encourage them when they're discouraged. Yes, there will be loss and suffering. There will be hardship. But there will be great reward. Wonderful evidences of your grace. We trust that you will work mightily in and through this family for your glory, for the sake of Jesus' name, and for their joy. We lift up the Creech family to you. We ask that you bless them this day, that they would know even more of our love for them and your love for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at this time, if you haven't already, please take out your Bible, and I encourage you to turn to 1 John 4.12. Today's sermon is going to cover verses 12 through 16 in chapter 4. If you're using one of the pew Bibles below the seats, I didn't double-check this, but I'm pretty sure that it's still on page 1,023. Uh, so turn to about there, 1,023 in the pew Bible below the seats. Uh, this morning's sermon text is the second section in this extended section in which the Apostle John provides teaching on love. Last week, the focus was on loving one another. This week, that, that's still in the passage, and yet there's some other things going on related to love that we're going to be digging into be digging into together. And now would all of those who are able please stand for the reading of God's holy, inerrant, infallible, precious word. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit 
We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. This is the word of the Lord for his people. May we hear it, believe it, and obey it. You may be seated. And I know that we just prayed, but we're going to pray again. Rescuer and redeeming God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord with the Lord's people. To be together to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, we ask that your spirit would lead us into truth. That you would do a mighty and great and glorious work in our hearts. That you would capture our attention this morning. That we would not merely have some emotions that get stirred up, but that our hearts would have greater affection for you as we ponder this passage together and we seek to apply it as a church. You are a great God. You are the only God. And every time we learn more about you and we dig deeper into, into the truths about you and the gospel, our, our minds increase with material to praise you and to give you thanks. And I ask that you would do that in us this morning. Not only, not only our minds would increase, but our hearts would increase, affecting our hands, our actions. Lord, we know that we are in continual need of forgiveness, that you have declared us righteous on the basis of your son's righteousness. We are trusting only in him. And so because of his finished work, we come to you now, knowing the gospel is true and confessing that we have sinned There are things that we have said, there are things that we have done, things that we have thought that are sinful, are not not acceptable. And yet we know that you have not abandoned us, you have not rejected us, that we don't have to earn your favor. For your grace comes to us, not through our works, but through Christ's work. And so we're trusting in him today. We confess our sin and we confess that Jesus has paid the price for our sins. Praise be to you, our God. Lord, we praise you for this day and all of your blessings, the way that you're providing for us as a church, for the people in in this church, that you're using us, how sweet it is to be used by the God who has saved us. We don't want to waste our lives living for ourselves, building our own kingdoms. We want to make much of Christ together. We praise you for the opportunities to share the gospel, the good news about Christ with others. We do pray that you would increase our passion to proclaim the gospel. We've made it our mission statement so that we can't shrink back and run from this truth that is found in your word, that your people are to proclaim you to the world. Help us today to be encouraged and strengthened to proclaim the gospel to one another and to a world that desperately needs to hear the gospel. We praise you for all the good things that are going on in and, and through this church in our lives. We praise you for uh, the 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 babies that are, are with us, the babies that are coming, uh, the, the children that are, are singing on stage. We praise you for the, the blessings, your provision. And Lord, we lift up those among us who are suffering, going through great hardships, uh, cancer, sickness, spiritual turmoil. We ask, Father, that you would bless them and that you would use even this, this morning's sermon to encourage their hearts. 
Lord, we pray for families. We pray that husbands and wives would love each other and care for one another and obey the scripture. We pray for children in this church to obey their parents, not ultimately just to to please their parents, but to please you, their God in heaven. We pray for singles to trust you for your provision of a, a godly spouse. We pray that we would be we would be more united in gospel ministry together. We pray all of these things in the great name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Yes, amen. (laughs) The word abide is prominent in this morning's passage. We, We find it six times within these five verses. As I've mentioned in previous sermons in 1 John, the word abide means to continue with or to continue in. Depending on the context, the Greek word translated here into English as abide is at other times in the ESV translated as remain, stay, continue, dwell, endure, last, live in, or survive. And I share all those words with you to help you capture what the the Greek word behind this word abide is. Because remember, anytime you take a, a word from one language and you move it into another language, sometimes there's, there, there's something missed there. And so these words that I'm giving you about abide that can be translated from this word are helpful. Remain, stay, continue, dwell, endure, last, live in, survive, continue with or in. Though this morning's passage is part of an extended section on love, It fits within the grand theme, this great and glorious theme of 1 John, which is Christian assurance. Remember, John, the Apostle John, desires that true, genuine, born-again, born-of-God Christians would have certainty about their relationship with God. He doesn't want God's children doubting whether or not they are God's children. He wants those in Christ's church to know that they belong to Christ that they have been, by God's grace, forgiven and justified and reconciled to a holy God. And I I don't think it's hard to see the connection between love and assurance. Love produces assurance. Love produces assurance. The Christian who knows that they are loved by God will have greater assurance of their salvation, that they are indeed a Christian. Think of other relationships in your life. If a child wonders whether or not their parent loves them, then they're not going to be very assured of their relationship with that parent. The same goes for a spouse. A spouse can, can say, hey, we're good. We're, we're good. You know, I'm with you. I'm committed to you. We're in a covenant, a God-ordained covenant. But if they never experience love from that spouse, they're going to have doubts about the commitment from their spouse. So love produces assurance. And this is why the word abide is so helpful. John uses it to explain the relationship that God has with his people and the relationship that God's people have with God. Church, John tells us that God abides in us. That he continues with and in the Christian. That God remains, that he stays, that he dwells in, that he endures, he lasts, he lives in the believer. And also that the reverse is true we see in this passage. The one who has been saved by God's grace abides in God. We continue with and we continue in God. We remain with God. We stay with God. We dwell with God. We endure. We last. We live in God. God abides in us, church, and we abide in him. Now, one way we could define a Christian then is that a Christian is simply someone who God abides in and someone who abides in God. So we have another description of a Christian. It is a wonderful truth for us to think on, church. God abides in you. 
and you abide in God. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to think on this truth. We're going to consider this truth. And my hope, and and I'm convinced that this is John's desire, is that by doing this, by considering this passage and this truth, that our assurance would increase. That we would have greater confidence if we are Christians, that indeed we are Christians. And again, it cuts both ways. As we make our way through this passage, if you look at your life and you hear what John says in this passage and you say, that's not true, that's not true, and that's not true of me, then that reveals that you're not a true Christian. And what is our hope? What, would I, what, what am I convinced that John would hope for you? That you would become a Christian. And so we again make our way through this passage with that in mind. John is after assurance, and he's using love to get us there. The, the passage begins in a very interesting way. John writes in verse 12, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. John writes something very similar in verse 18 of the opening chapter of, of his gospel. No one has ever seen God. That's the same. But then he goes on to write, The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John 1, 18. It's a reference to Jesus Christ, who is, of course, God in the flesh, the eternal Son who, who has made God known to us in his coming, his living, his dying, his rising from the dead. So God has been revealed to us in Christ. That's pretty clear. That's something that we celebrate every Christmas. The incarnation, when God has come to us in flesh. But then here in verse 12, and this is the interesting thing, I think even the surprising thing, John writes that the unseen God who has revealed himself to us in his son also reveals himself in his people if we love one another. That's surprising. That that God uses our love to reveal himself to others and to other Christians. My, My wife Amy's maternal grandfather died before any of our boys were born, actually before Amy and I were married. Because Grandpa Fred died before our boys were born, they have never seen Grandpa Fred in person. But in, in certain ways, they have seen him, and I, and I don't mean in some weird, new age, spiritual way. They haven't seen him in that way. I mean, my boys have seen Grandpa Fred in pictures on the walls and in photo albums. And I think you can relate to this. There are people in your life that, that you wish other people would have seen. Not only has Grandpa Fred been revealed to my boys in pictures on the walls and in photo albums, he's been revealed to them through the stories they've heard about him. The jokes that he told and phrases that he often used that that continue to be told and used by family members today. When we get together, uh, it's bound to happen. One of Grandpa Fred's jokes are going to come out or there's a phrase that's going to be used that that really, it, 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 it can be traced back to him. Our boys have seen evidence of who Grandpa Fred was every time they go into the garage, the garage up north at our family cabin to grab a soda out of, out of the fridge because every time they walk in there, they can't help but notice the meticulously organized tools that are all over the walls. Grandpa Fred has been gone, I think, over 14 years, and yet every tool has been placed back just in its spot organized just the way he left them. More tools have been added, but they now have a spot as well. 
And so when my boys go in to grab a soda or to get a drink for somebody else and they look in the garage, Grandpa Fred is, is all over the place. They get a sense of his, his personality. That he liked his tools to be put exactly where they belonged and he knew where they belonged. And if you didn't put them back there, then he, you would have a problem. And of course, there's evidence of Grandpa Fred's existence in their family members. Their granny was married to him. Their grandmother is his daughter. Their mom and, and aunt are his granddaughters. All these things and all these people reveal Grandpa Fred to our boys. Likewise, God's love is seen in our love for one another because our love for one another comes from God. Church, our love for one another reveals the unseen God to each other, and it's proof that the unseen God abides in us. This does not mean that when we begin to love one another that God abides in us. He's like, hey, you over there, you're, you're loving the church well, I'm going to come and reside in you. I'll, I'll indwell you now. That's, that's not it at all. It means that our love for one another is evidence that God is truly in us. We see this in part in the end of the verse, which speaks of God's love being perfected in us. This is another interesting statement. We know that God's love is perfect. It's perfect. It, there's no problem with God's love. It's not like he gives us this kind of, this, this rock with a few diamonds in it, and then we've got to chip away to get the diamond out and say, hey, here it is. It's a finished product. No, God's love is perfect. So John is not saying here that we somehow improve God's love. What he is saying is that God loves us with a purpose, multiple purposes. He has a goal with his love. And that one of these purposes, one of his goals in loving us is that it would produce in us Christians love for one another. Uh, another word that's used in other translations to, to translate this word perfect is complete. God's love is manifested to us in his son who God sent into the world to be the propitiation for our sins, to atone for our sins, and is per perfected in or completed in us when it reproduces love in us. The God who is love loves us, and his love causes us to love one another. When you experience the love of God, yes, we don't do this perfectly, and, and if we consider it for a while, we'll say, man, I'm really, I'm really, not meeting the mark when it comes to loving other people. But when we experience the love of God, we can't help but begin to love his people. It comes natural. It, it, the sun is warm because it's hot. The, the Christian loves because they're a Christian. This, this is the natural outcome of experiencing and knowing the love of God. Just as an apple seed produces apples, God's love in us produces our love for one another. And this love between us, which comes from God, is proof that God is in us, that he abides in us. Our love is the fruit, and God's love is the seed. And that's what, it, what John is, is telling us with this, God's love is perfected in us. He loved you. He, he, he's truly loved you. And by loving you, he's changing you. And one of the things that he's changing in you is your love for his people. It's growing. It's, his love is, is producing a love for others. Church, as we love one another, we reveal the unseen God who is love. That's awesome. I, I want people to know God. I want people to hear the gospel and to believe the gospel, and they need to hear words to do that. So again, that St. Francis Assisi quote that he didn't ever say, you know, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. He didn't say it. 
You need words. People need to know who Jesus is. They need to understand the gospel, that they're a sinner in need of a savior. And yet our love has a purpose. We do need to love. It matches with the gospel. It, it shows that the gospel is true and it's powerful. That God takes somebody who, who doesn't love the church and then he loves them and then they love the church. It's more evidence of, of gospel power in us, proof that God is in us. Where does our love for one another come from? It's not from us. It's not something we muster up and say, you know what, I really, I really got to start loving people better. That's a self-love ultimately. It's I need to do this for me so I feel better. No, no, this love comes from God. And so when you're loved well by another Christian, think of 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It's kind of a picture of love. We looked at it more last week. When another Christian is patient and kind towards you, you don't deserve it. You're mean, you're rude, you're selfish, and yet they're being patient and kind with you. When they are not envious of you or boastful towards you, not arrogant or rude to you, when they do not insist on their own way, are not irritable or resentful, when they do not rejoice at wrongdoing but rejoice with you in the truth, when they bear all things with you, they go through the hard times with you, when they believe all things. No, the gospel is true. Hold to it. Believe it. I believe it. You believe it. You're a brother. You're a sister. Hold to it. When they hope all things, you're hopeful for this. You're hopeful for that. And they're like, you know, I'll hope with you because I love you. When they endure all things with you, then Christian, here's what you can do. You can point to them and say, I see evidence that you're a child of God, that God abides in you and you abide in God. They'll say, what? Oh, what do you mean? I'm just, I'm just loving you. And, and, and you can say, and that's exactly it. God's love is in you. And, it's, and, and because his love is in you, you are loving me. It's a biblical love that comes from God. You're loving me well. God abides in you and you abide in him. This is something we should be doing more often, church. When we experience, just like Mike came up and shared, hey, you've loved me well. You, you prepared a place for me. You filled the pantry, you put the pots in the pans, you got the beds, you've loved me well. And what did he say? I want, to tell, I want to tell the church before we go. What a great example for us, church. When somebody's loving you well in the church, when you see evidence of their love, when you know, and I, I know this is true of me, when I'm difficult, when I'm frustrating other people and yet they're bearing with me, you know what I, I need to do? Thank you for loving me. It's evidence that that the Holy Spirit is in you. Because you're a Christian and I see it. There's something else here for us as well. And when you find yourself loving other Christians, when you're patient with and kind towards other believers, when you praise God for blessing other Christians with something that he hasn't blessed you with, when you humbly cry out to God in prayer for a Christian who is struggling, who is suffering, who is doubting. Why? Because you love them so much. When you make sacrifices for other believers, when you can't wait for Sunday to gather with other believers in your church to worship God, when being with your community group is one of the highlights of your week, when you couldn't be happier spending 15 minutes in prayer with the brother or sister, thanking God for his goodness, his grace, and the gospel, what is that church? That's love that you have for other Christians, a love that comes from God, not from you, because he abides in you, and it's it's all proof that the God who saved you remains in you. So if you're looking for evidence of your conversion, am I really saved? If you're wondering if you're really born again, not because you 
walked down an aisle, you marked a card, you prayed a prayer, but because God has caused you to be born again, if you're looking for evidence, then something to consider is your love for other Christians, for the people in your church, because it's one proof that you really are a Christian, that God abides in you. So love has a purpose. Love, love is a proof that God is in you. In the remainder of the passage, God abiding in us is mentioned three more times, but, but John adds the, the other aspect of abiding, that we abide in God. And with each, we're given more proof of God's abiding in us and our abiding in him. And again, why? To increase our assurance. Uh, John is, is like this, this brother, this mature, godly, older believer who, who looks out and sees the church struggling with assurance. He says, I want you to have true, genuine assurance. Not just because, hey, I want you to feel better, but because it's yours, Christian. It's there for you. And so here's more proof that you're a Christian. And the first is that God has given us his spirit. The second is that we confess that Jesus is the son of God. And the third is that we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And so again, we're going to look at each proof a little bit more and, and seek to, to gain all that we can together this morning from it. We find the first in verse 13, where we read this. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. God giving a Christian his spirit is the very means by which God abides in the Christian and we Christians abide in him. This is the means by which this happens, this abiding. It is through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that God remains in us and we remain in him. It is the down payment of our inheritance. It's the, it's the, the true reality of our union with God through Christ. God doesn't just say, I'm with you. You're in my thoughts and prayers. That's not what he does. He doesn't say, call me when you need me. No, by his spirit, God comes to us and he lives in us. He remains, he stays, he continues, he dwells, he endures, he lasts, he lives in us. How? By his spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit who assures us that God abides in us. In John 14, 16 through 20, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. 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 How long? Like for 10 years? No. 20? No. Forever. Sound like the Sandlot right there, don't I? Some of you have seen that movie like forever, forever. It, it's true forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. It's language of union of our fellowship with God, our relationship. Now, of the three proofs that John gives us in verses 13 through 16, that God abides in us and we abide in him, this first proof is the cause of the second and the third. It is because God has given us his spirit that we confess the truth that Jesus is the son of God. And it is because God has given us his spirit that we come to know and to believe the love that God has for us in Christ. 
Even earlier in that John 14 passage, we see this. The world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. For you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. We're all born spiritually dead. The most holy, wonderful, godly parents will bear children that are born spiritually dead. New life doesn't get passed on genetically. It gets brought by a work, a mighty, mysterious work of the Holy Spirit. It's a work of God. He gets all the glory. Parents, we're we're called to put the truth before them, to teach them the truth about God, to preach the gospel, to to be an example of genuine Christian love that the Holy Spirit might use that to, to open their eyes. But it is the Holy Spirit, not parents, that save children. We're all born spiritually dead sinners. And in our fallen, unregenerate, unredeemed condition, we are spiritually blind. We do not know or believe God's love. We don't get the gospel. Sure, we can state the facts, take a test on theology and pass it. We can tell the story of Jesus' coming, his living, his dying, and his being raised. But a, a true confession is a work of the Holy Spirit. He opens our eyes and he reveals the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We've talked about this. You cannot see Jesus unless the Holy Spirit revealed him to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who opens your eyes. One time you saw Jesus a certain way, a leader, a teacher, and all of a sudden, Just like the wind blows the trees and you don't know it's coming. Oh, look, there's the wind. The Holy Spirit comes and opens your eyes. Gives you ears to hear the the word of God, not just with your ears, but truly with your heart and to believe it. And it is the Holy Spirit in us that convinces us, even when we cannot accept it, we don't want to hear it, of God's love for us. Romans 5.5 And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You say, I'm unlovable. I I don't deserve his love. And I would say, yes, spiritually speaking, you're right. You don't. You haven't earned it. And yet, the Holy Spirit has come and convinced you that despite what you deserve, his wrath and judgment and condemnation, he loves you. And sometimes we doubt and we wrestle and we struggle, and especially after we sin in some grievous way or we can't get over a certain sin. And yet here we see this glorious truth. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. How long has he been given to us for? Is he on loan? We have to return the Holy Spirit at some point? No, forever. And so both our true confession and our ability to know and believe that in Christ God loves us, does, these do not come from within us, but are works of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in us, then, is proof that God abides in us and we abide in him. He is the evidence. And the result of God giving us the Holy Spirit is this, our confession that Christ is Lord and our knowledge of and belief that God truly loves us. So they work together. We come to the second proof in verses 14 and 15. I want to dig into it further. That God abides in us and we abide in him. Here's the proof. We confess that Jesus is the son of God. 
John said earlier, no one has ever seen God. But now John says in, in verse 14 that we have seen and testify that the Father sent his Son. He's speaking again about the apostolic testimony, the message of the apostles, that along with the other apostles, he is an eyewitness to Jesus' life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension. Remember that language? I touched him. He's real. I touched him. You can bank on this. Believe what I'm telling you. I'm testifying to you. The Bible teaches us that we need a Savior to save us from our sin and that Jesus is God's Son and the only Savior of sinners. It's the good news. It's the gospel. The world has fallen. We can't save ourselves, but God sent his Son to save us from sin, from death, from hell. And we must confess this truth that Jesus is God the Son, the Savior of the world, that he is not just a Savior, but our Savior. And if we truly believe this, it will be shown how in our confession. That is, Jesus is our Lord, our Savior. First, we hear the apostolic message about Christ recorded for us in the Bible. Yes, it might come from somebody else who's read the Bible, a Sunday school teacher, a parent, a grandmother, a great-grandmother. Somebody tells us the truth, and we know it's the truth because the Bible says it. They tell us about Jesus, who he is and what he did that he is God come to us in flesh, that he lived a sinless life and that he died to atone for our sins. And then what happens? We hear it. We believe it. We believe that it's all true. And what's next? We personally trust and we rely on Christ for our salvation, on Christ alone. Again, it is only by the Spirit of God that you and I can confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Truly confess to bow our hearts, our knees, our lives to Jesus. Say, your King I'm going to hell if you don't save me, Jesus. It is only by your finished work, who you are, what you did, how you lived a sinless, perfectly obedient life. That is my only hope. You, you're my hope. That confession doesn't come by natural human means. We don't figure it out and say, yep, okay. The Holy Spirit says, this is the situation. I've come to bring good news, but let me tell you the bad news. You're a wicked, evil sinner deserving of hell. And yet God sent his son to rescue and redeem you. Do you believe it? Yes, you believe it. And so confess it. Say it. Trust in Christ. You've heard the gospel. You believe the gospel. You trust in the gospel. And what is the proof? That you confess that Jesus is Lord, that he's the son of God and your savior. And if this happens, then you have more proof that God abides in you and you abide in him. And this brings us to the, the final proof in verse 16, that God abides in us and we abide in him. And it's that we have come to know and believe that God loves us. <laughs> I love it. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Now some people think God loves them and, and he doesn't. <laughs> they think it, but yet the God that they think loves them is not the God of the Bible. They've made a God of their own making and that God loves them because really it's just them loving themselves. They've created an idol. They might as well have just spent a few days carving it out of wood and said, this God loves me. It's different from the, the true God loving you. The Bible teaches us that God is love and that God loves us and the Bible reveals to us how God loves us by sending his son to die in our place in order to rescue us from hell and reconcile us to himself. If you don't believe that, then you don't know God's love. 
That is the climax, the apex, the very heart of how God loves his people by sending his son. So if you reject Jesus, you, you, you should not think that God loves you because you've rejected the way that he loves you. And if God abides in us and we abide in him, we don't just know that God loves us. We actually believe it. And what a marvelous truth it is, church. God loves you. To be loved by God. I, I really enjoy being loved. I, I love being loved. I love experiencing love from my family, from my friends, from other Christians. But, but here is the greatest love that we could ever experience, the love that, that we were designed and created to experience, the love of God. And he loves you, Christian, not because of anything in you, not because he was lonely and needed someone to love, not because you were better or nicer, more beautiful, handsome, stronger, cooler, more intelligent than the person who is not a Christian and will never become a Christian. He doesn't love you because of any of those things. He just chose to love you. And this is repeated over and over again throughout the Bible. Romans 5, 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How does he show his love for you? By Christ dying for us. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He loves you because he is a gracious, loving God. You're dead in your sins. And we saw this in last week's passage. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to atone for our sins. And so this is how God loves you. And you believe it. You know it to be true. You've experienced his love. And the way that you've experienced his love is through the cross, through the gospel, through his son. Because of the Holy Spirit, you know, you know God's, lo God's love. Only the Holy Spirit can convince your heart that God loves you. And this is proof that God abides in you and you abide in God. Again, you read the Bible and you know who God is and you say, he loves me. He loves me. He loves me. He loves me. And that, Christian, is more proof it builds the case when you're doubting, when you're struggling. You're saying, I don't think he loves me. And then you go to the scriptures and you read about Christ dying on the cross. He loves me. And the Holy Spirit convinces you it's true. Christian, in this passage, John has given us biblical proofs to look for, to increase our assurance. Signs that help our hearts have greater confidence that God abides in us and we abide in him. Our love for one another is proof that the unseen God abides in us. Do you love Christ's church? If so, that, that's going to be evident. You're going to be committed. You're going to be involved. You're going to be building up. You're going to be serving. If so, then your love for the church will be Christ-like. That is, it will be marked by sacrifice and seeking your brother or sister in Christ. They're good. God has given us the Holy Spirit who is more proof that God abides in you and you abide in God. If the Holy Spirit is in you, it will be evidenced, it will be shown, it will be proven by your confession and your being convinced of God's love for you. Have you confessed that Jesus is the Son of God, your Lord and Savior? Do you truly believe that Christ came to save you and your only hope is in him? That God loves you and he demonstrated this love to you by sending his Son? If your answer is yes, 
yes, yes, yes, then, then you can have greater confidence. You can be assured of your relationship with God that you are indeed by God's grace through faith, despite your struggles, your ongoing struggles with sin and doubt, that you are indeed a true Christian. That God abides in you and you in him. And isn't that sweet? God abides in you and you abide in him. Let's pray. God, I do pray that you would take this truth that I have sought to take from your word and put before these people. And by your spirit, you would move it into their hearts deeper and deeper. That in the midst of struggling and suffering and temptations and trials, they would have greater confidence. Those who are true Christians would have greater confidence that they are indeed your children, that you love them, that you are abiding in them and they are abiding in you. And Father, I pray that, that those who are not true Christians, who are trusting in, in things that they have done, how good they have been living, whatever it might be, would see their need for Christ and run to him. And that your spirit would do what it has done in me and the other believers in this place. Open their eyes. Give them ears to hear. Change their hearts so that they would abide in you and you would abide in them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.